0: What is up, my friends? Welcome to Rebel and Create's Fatherhood Field Notes podcast, where I interview incredible fathers gaining wisdom from their stories for you and I to grow in our craft. I'm your guide, Ned Shout, father to five kiddos, currently ages 10 to 17, and husband to my rad wife, Sarah, working on our 19th year of marriage. So, yep, I'm in the thick of it, the adventure of fatherhood. And I'm working daily to rebel against the low expectations for fathers and create a world where fathers know who they are as they show up for their families. You and I have the greatest opportunity to impact our world through the way we embrace our fatherhood role. I believe the role of the fathers to serve, guide, provide, protect, and of course have fun in the messiness of it all. Today's guest is my friend Kelly Jean-Philippe. We have an incredibly beautiful conversation. Kelly has a peace and joy in his presence. We discuss miscarriages, how to not be paralyzed by fear and guilt, and how to enjoy the present. Enjoy meeting my friend Kelly. All right, it is Good Friday. Who knows when you'll be listening to this, but today's Good Friday, and me and my new friend, Kelly Jean-Philippe, are going to talk fatherhood. Dude, welcome to the podcast.
1: Oh, man, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Yeah, you know, I forget who connected us, but we had a conversation maybe a month or so ago, and just great connection, and I've been looking forward to just diving in and recording the conversation.
1: Yeah, I... So I was doing a quick search on YouTube, just like fatherhood talks. And then I came Mm. across or Ted talk and I was like, I got to reach out to this guy. And I did. And then you were gracious enough to uh, connect with me. And you're right. We had a great conversation and I've been looking forward to today as well.
0: Oh man, that's what's up. Okay. So I had, I had forgot that piece. Tell me as a man, husband, father, what would lead you to go look up fatherhood talks on the internet?
1: Yeah. So I also run a podcast and a platform called Welcome to Fatherhood. And just thinking about ways to not just like scale the platform and to incorporate different stories and different nuances and different Mm -hmm. aspects, but I'm also trying to learn from others what sort of conversations, what sort of point of views, what sort of experiences are being shared about fatherhood. And so that led me to YouTube just a quick, you know, fatherhood talk. And then this list of like TED talks and other people speaking in conferences about fatherhood, the significance of fatherhood, um, what fatherhood has meant to them personally, some of the issues surrounding fatherhood, some of the reasons why fatherhood is important. So all of these things, I try to soak all of those things in because I don't want to just go off of my own personal experience because then it's too narrow i mean i like to gain a wide range of perspectives to inform how i show up and how i carry out myself as as a father and really that's just how i like to learn instead of just focusing on one thing let me hear what other people are saying and then systematizing that to you know fit my needs
0: yeah yeah Man, that's so good. I mean, if all of us fathers looked at this as a craft, right, mm-hmm. where we could learn from each other, we could learn from stuff that's out there. And we live in such a rad world where you could literally go learn anything. Um, and I think, you know, you would admit to this too, that, you know, one of the reasons you and I both have podcasts around fatherhood is because it is a little limited to look at stuff around fatherhood mm-hmm. compared to if you are to go Google stuff on being a mom, the stuff that's out there is beautiful and well put together and and there's less for dads. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, it's just a little harder for dads to go Google uh, how to be a great yes. dad, you know, <laughs> yeah. we're in survive mode a lot of the time.
1: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, man, because that's, that's actually the reason why I started podcasting, now that you say that, is because when I was becoming a father back in 2020, mm-hmm. I just got all of this exposure to people calling my wife, to people calling my phone to talk to my wife and asking how she was doing, rightfully so.
0: Yeah, yeah. And
1: then every single conversation completely bypassed me as a father. Yeah. And I was like, well, that sucks. Like, I mean, <laughs> we're... You know, we're two people who had never been parents before. Yep. She's becoming a parent and everyone is apparently celebrating that. Hello. Like, you know, so I decided to do something about it. And over the course of three years, almost, it's just ballooned into exploring all sorts of things and also highlighting the. um what's the word I'm looking for? Just the disparities in how fatherhood and motherhood are portrayed in in many
0: Yeah. Oh, dude. So good. So good. Okay. So to help people understand who I'm talking to right now, obviously you're already, you know, sharing your learner, uh, growth mindset, uh, open human being. Um, How old do you find yourself today?
1: Today, I am 37 years old.
0: 37. Yeah. And how many years you've been married?
1: I've been married going on five years at the end of May. So May is a very important month for my family. My wife and I got married at the end of May. My son was born at the end of May mm. and that's 38 in May. All right,
0: dude, big month over yeah. at your house. Yeah. Um, and you have two kids. What are their ages?
1: Yeah, so my firstborn, Julius Camillo, that's his whole first name, Julius Love Camillo. It. He is going to be three years old and our newborn his name is Eden and he is turning 6 weeks tomorrow. Ooh. Yeah.
0: You're in the yeah. thick of it, bro.
1: Yes, sir. Oh yes, my God. gosh, in the no thick. No sleep over here.
0: <laughs> yeah, those first 3 months, those first 3 months are gnarly. Um and then where does your family, where do you guys live?
1: Yeah, so right now we're in Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, although every day it seems like it's getting less and less lovely mm-hmm. to be here. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm and then what do you do for a living to support the family
1: okay so this is the time that if we were at a party i would be sucking the life out of the party because no one wants to no one knows how to follow up after i tell them what i do right so i am a chaplain at a children's hospital here in philadelphia wow and the moment i say that it's like oh, oh yeah <laughs> So for those who may not know what chaplaincy is, I provide emotional, spiritual support to patients, families, staff, Mm -hmm. and the hospital, regardless of what they're going through. Uh, And so if your mind can go to the worst possible case scenario, I've most likely seen it. And if your mind can go to the best possible case scenario, I've also seen that and everything in between.
0: Yeah. Well, Kelly, let me say this. I mean, we don't really know each other and this this podcast isn't um, video, it's just audio. But just your smile, the, your laugh and smile just now, and then, and then your face just has so much, uh, I would say, peace and joy in it that I think that that job for you, I'm, I mean, I'm assuming that when you walk into a room, there's a presence that you have that can bring peace to people. Um, and I don't know where that's from or why you I mean, I guess I'll ask that. How do you have that? Because that's is that do you would you say that's accurate, not to like toot your own horn, but do you think that's accurate about you?
1: Yeah, I mean, if I didn't have that presence, I don't think I would be able to do my job if if as a person who fulfills that role, if you don't show up and you kind of so there's a l- loud car. It's all good. <laughs> um, if you don't have that presence when you show up in a room, it really sets the tone for things to not work out. And what I mean by that is, I need to build trust yeah. with the person and the people in that room in a flash. Right?
0: But it seems as though that that is well. Okay, is it learned or is that something that's unique about you?
1: I would say a combination of both because naturally I'm a chill person. Mm -hmm. Life experiences have taught me how to show up to be with people in the ways that I've been able to hone in in my craft as a chaplain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Going through the training of chaplaincy also contributes to honing in that craft because as a chaplain, what I do have to offer is myself is my presence. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So
1: I try to, you know, before, when I first started, I would walk in with this little binder in my hand that had things in it. Now I don't walk in with anything. And that's like a gift that I offer yeah. people Yeah, uh, that I'm not here to offer you anything, to give you anything, to do anything necessarily hands-on, but I am here open, completely transparent, blank canvas. And I want you to paint on me, whatever it is you're experiencing.
0: Uh, that's beautiful, dude. So the takeaway for us listening is, you know, regardless of our stories is to walk into a room almost without an agenda. You're walking in as you and and you are a open vessel, a canvas. I really like how you said that. I'm here to take on what you need me to take on.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Dude, how incredible. Like what if us dads walked into a room without an agenda, without a I know how this is going, you know, like look at how awesome I am. I know the things to say, the way to say them, the way to put my hand on your shoulder. Those things aren't bad. Mm-hmm. But if they're done not from an openness, they're done from like a calculated formula, it's a difference.
1: It is a difference. It's absolutely a difference. So, if I can share this, please. When I was in in chaplaincy Uh, I really reflected and meditated on this piece of a story that I think is universal to all people, whether or not you come from a Christian background. I think universally the story of Job is
0: Mm.
1: recognized, right? Mm -hmm. And I always say this after reflecting on it for a while, I always say this, Job is like 40-something chapters long if you have, you know, a Bible. Um, It shouldn't have gotten to like chapter Mm -hmm. 40-something. Ended in like chapter three.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. Because at the end of chapter three, there is this scene where Job's friends come to comfort him. And the story goes that they see him from afar and they're like horrified by the pain and the agony that he's in. And then the scene closes by saying, and they came and they sat next to him and nobody said a word.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: that should have been end of story. Like to me, that should have been end of story. The other 30, whatever chapters that we have in our Bibles unfold the moment the one friend starts opening his mouth Oh, to talk about, hey, I know the reason why this is happening to you. So, and which leads down these really elaborate dialogues, right? So I bring that up to say,
0: hmm.
1: once I've once I thought about that and meditated on that, it, it's really significant to me because one of the most uncomfortable uh, one of the most uncomfortable positions to assume is when you're in the presence of someone who's suffering you can't do anything about. So just being able to offer the best thing that you can offer that person right now is yourself, which communicates in many ways than one that you're not afraid of that person's suffering, mm. that you're not trying to necessarily solve their suffering. Yeah, You yeah, acknowledge a level of humanity, right? Like, hey, I see you going mm. through something right now. Like, I can't do anything about it. But what I can do is let you know that in many ways, you are not by yourself, even if it might feel like you're by yourself right now, right? Yeah. You're not by yourself because I'm here and i've been on the receiving side of that ned yeah and, and you know those are experiences that come up for me every time i walk into a patient's room at the hospital and quite frankly i think at this point in my life and my career i've internalized the essence of chaplaincy so much like that's just how i show up with people or two people regardless of you know when i'm at work or when i'm home when i'm with my son like this is just how i've learned to show up to people
0: dude the the so i already wrote this down like what i'm going to use as your quote and what if every dad could just this is it i'm here that's it dude just i'm here i'm here uh beautiful okay so i have two questions my first question is how do you go from and I'm kind of deviating from my stuff, but how do you go from I'm 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 being a chaplain to now I come home and my kid wants to run up and give me a hug or show me some drawing that he did when maybe I just saw a three-year-old who passed away or who had this, that, or the other. So how do you set that aside and come be a dad?
1: Man, that is such a great question. Um, over the years, I think I've gotten better at it. Mm-hmm. I can share an experience when my son was, when I, when my firstborn uh, was born back in 2020, maybe about three, four months later. So no longer than that. Cause my son was born in end of May and this was around Thanksgiving. Okay. So do the math. I, I can't calculate it right now. So around that time I walk into a patient's room and this might be a trigger, you know, for some people. So please be aware of that. Um, And the story of this woman and her child, who is the same age as my son Mm. is, I mean, the exact same age as my son at the time, is that she was preparing for Thanksgiving dinner. She had an older child who wanted to spend time with his baby brother. And even though mom had told big brother, hey, don't take little brother out of the crib. Mm. Little brother, a big brother took little brother out of the crib to hold him while watching TV. And he fell asleep and he fell asleep on his baby brother. (sighs) Right. So I walk into the room and there is this ginormous blown up picture of this baby hanging up on the wall. And Ned, I kid you not, I walk in and I thought that was my son. Mm. looked just like him. So leaving the hospital at that time, I come home, and I felt so guilty mm-hmm. for being able to pick up my son, for being able to hug and play with my son, who was just an infant at the time, because I just left this horrible situation that ended up in this family losing yeah. their brand new baby. Right. So. I bring that up to say there's still a level of guilt, but more and more it gets um, less and less of a presence feeling. Yeah. And the reason why is. I'm categorizing, I am rationalizing in my mind and I've come to accept this very basic reality. The only difference between me being in the position of being a support person to someone in that situation and that person being in the position of needing that support is that these are our circumstances right now. Ah, yes. Yes. At any given moment, the shoe could be on the other foot. So because I've come to that realization and I've settled I've sat with that for quite some time then now I'm able to appreciate the fact that I have a true gift and privilege to be with people in these really devastating moments yeah and so hopefully the way I present myself, hopefully the conversations that we have, hopefully the silence that I we allow to engulf, the both of us or all of us in, in a particular room, hopefully that serves a good purpose for that person. Once they are able to start taking the first step towards healing and recovery and learning how to live a life with such a gaping wound. Yeah. And um, then I come home and I thank God that for right now, yeah, yes, that's good. I'm in the position to hug my kid, to to play with him, to be annoyed by him. I mean, even yeah, though yeah, I, yeah. those feelings, I'm like I shouldn't feel bad because my child is ticking me off right now. Yeah. Like that blessing that yeah. I can get ticked off by my kid cuz this other person can't have the same thing that I'm having right now, right? And also realizing like I said that You know, God forbid, but at any moment, what I just experienced and what I just saw can is is not too far away from where I'm at now.
0: So then, how does it not let you live in the fear, right? How does it? How do you allow yourself to enjoy the day, um, and not live in fear that the shoe is going to drop at some point?
1: Yeah, that is, I mean. That is foundation to my worldview. Mm. And my worldview is very much centered on my faith in Christ. Yeah. And I, like, there's no other way to, to say it. I've, yeah. I've wrestled through, I've wrestled through what it means to live this life, knowing that danger is always lurking and it's never too yeah. far away yeah uh, whether it's something that happens to me or whether it's myself who becomes an agent of danger to somebody else like it's never far away but what is... also...
0: go ahead go, go ahead. ahead please
1: no but uh but I'm also confident in the fact that I know where I know where my anchor is yeah and my faith is my anchor
0: yeah but what I like that I'm hearing Okay. A couple of things is one, this is an active choice. So this faith of not living in fear is active. So I'm assuming it's, you know, you're engaged in choosing to not live in fear, but it's not this nothing bad will happen to me situation. I mean, Uh, even your facial expression right now is not this faith that, Oh, because I'm a Christian because of this, nothing's going to happen. It's that I will have the grace I need if, and when that happens.
1: Yeah, man, because the the object of that faith is God in flesh, Jesus Christ, who overcame. I mean Good Friday, right? Yeah. Here we he, are. He, he was headed to the grave. Mm. So there is a couple of days from now this other thing that we're gonna celebrate, which mm. is Easter Sunday. Yeah. And for me over the years, the image of the stone being rolled away and that ah. empty tomb. Is where it's at, right? So even, <laughs> so even good. if even if I I lose my life, even if I go through the devastation of watching my children lose their lives, for as much as it will hurt, for as much as it will change my mind, for as much as it will challenge my faith, even though I'm speaking about it right now, yeah, there is this immovable part of it that says. This is not the end of the story because mm-hmm. it isn't the end of the story for the guy who is the object of my faith.
0: Yeah, yeah, beautiful. Ah, beautiful and perfect for the day that we're in. So I've been toying or playing with this word guilt and shame, and mm-hmm. you brought up the word guilt. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that guilt is a is a powerful positive tool for us? Meaning. Like when we say, I feel guilty, it's usually I'm feeling bad about like, you know, I just came from this kid that passed away to my kid who's healthy, but guilt could empower us to take action. So what what are your thoughts on guilt?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think basically what you just said, it, it's a neutral emotion that depending mm-hmm. on how you choose to respond to yes. it, it can be okay. good or bad. Yep. Uh, so if the guilt that I'm feeling makes me feel like it it hinders me, it paralyzes me, then it's a good my word. response to it is is not productive. Mm, but if the dude. guilt that I'm feeling uh, propels me to to do something about it, then it's a positive outcome on the other end of it. But guilt itself, to me, is just this neutral. Uh, emotion that I feel. And it's up to me to choose which way I'm going to, I'm going to respond to it.
0: Dude, you're so good with your words. So men, as you feel guilty, I think the default, and maybe it's just me, but the default is to let it paralyze you, which is the mm-hmm. word you used. Mm-hmm. But what if when we feel guilt, we don't think about it as a negative emotion. We think about it as a neutral emotion, like Kelly's saying. And then instead of paralyzing us, it propels us to take action. Oh, my gosh, that's game change, dude. (laughs) If I feel guilty to stop sitting there and going like, oh, man, I suck as a dad or I haven't been a good husband and then dwell on that, because then we're feeding this negative. We're taking this guilt and making it negative and feeding it. And then that's what can turn into shame, can turn into us shutting down or Absolutely. us turning to our careers because it's just too hard to be a husband and father. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's where the good stuff comes is from the hard, the hard work. Um, oh gosh, this is so good. All right, I'm going to jump into a couple questions. You've been a dad for three years. Now, what's interesting is when you became a dad, you were a chaplain at that time. So you already had a connection to kids, right? Your career is built around being connected to kids. So mm-hmm. you probably had this, you know, different level of 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 connection than, than maybe a dad who's like, oh God, I haven't never really held a baby before. So with that in mind, when did you embrace fatherhood as a powerful role for yourself? Like when did you go? Whoa, this matters deeply. Was it the moment you found out your wife was pregnant, or was it some other point along the journey?
1: The moment I found out my wife was pregnant. The moment she said, "You're going to be a dad," it was everything changed. Hmm. Um, And so, why? Because it forced me to reckon with my own history with my father, Hmm. and now. I was, I would assume for somebody else, the role that my father played in my life. So I had to wrestle through things that I thought I had wrestled through before, Mm. but now it became a lot more personal Mm
0: -hmm. because
1: now this kid is going to grow up and his perspective of me is entirely dependent on how I relate to him. Yeah. And um, yeah, man, that that was just that was just a game changer. And then it took it to a whole nother level. The moment I held him in my arms and I was like, holy smokes, he's actually here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like This is real. Oh, man. OK. And then that just took it to a whole nother level. Like, all right. All those things that you were theorizing for the last nine months. um. What you going to do about it now? You know what I mean? Like now we got to start putting some things into practice. So yeah, th- the moment that happened, it, it it changed everything for me. And true to my story is that when my wife first told me she was pregnant, we ended up losing two pregnancies before my first born. So even to think about it in that frame of mind, yeah, like nothing changed. From that first, you're going to be a father to when Julius Camillo was actually a viable pregnancy that ended up growing, that ended up being born at the end of May of 2020.
0: Wow. So you guys have been trying for a while, had a few exciting, hey, we're pregnant, and then a few just sad miscarriage. Um, what was that time frame Like, when was it the first time that you heard you're going to be a dad? What year was that?
1: that was, um, 2019.
0: Okay. So 2019 during that year, pre pandemic, you have a couple of false alarms, which heavy. And tell me, tell me what you've done from that, because I think that that has sparked some things for you to, to be there for other men. Uh, talk to me about that.
1: Yeah. So uh, in the interest of full transparency, my wife and I we've experienced a total of four miscarriages. Wow, uh, to get to two children.
0: yeah,
1: and what's what that has done for me is to it took a while, Ned, to be honest with you, it took a while because i I had to process through and quite honestly, I'm still processing through a lot of this stuff. But what it made me realize is that in my experience, there were more times than not that my feelings, my experience of that devastating event was not validated. What it made me realize is that the circumstances, the social circumstances around how pregnancy, how conception, fertility, and all of those things are framed Really complicated the environment in which my wife and I made decisions to either tell people beforehand versus not tell people that we were pregnant out of fear of, well, what if, you know, the what if a miscarriage happens? Yeah. In our case, it happened four times. And so the very first time I completely understood, hey, listen, we're not going to tell anybody. We didn't tell anybody. The miscarriage happened. Someone in the Background somewhere it might have been a doctor said, "Hey, don't be surprised if the first one doesn't stick." In those exact words. Wow. And so when the first miscarriage happened, I didn't connect with my wife because what's the big deal? Mm. The first one didn't. Mm. The first mm-hmm. one didn't stick. So, you know, we're just gonna we're just gonna try again. Yep. And so here she is experiencing this thing, and I didn't even have a thought about, oh man, this hurts. Obviously I had to like empathize and, but it wasn't a connection that I had over this devastating thing. Right. Then the second one happened. And then because I had built up my expectations since the first one was not supposed to stick, the second one is definitely going to stick. Uh, that so that's
0: happen. when you were let
1: down. So that's when I was let down. Yeah. And that's when I realized, oh man, she is going through this for the second time. How foolish of me to not have seen that the first time. Right. 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 And then by the third time, which ended up being our firstborn, Julius Camillo, we were so tempered that it was like, okay, we're just going to take it very methodical, one step at a time. Like we didn't allow ourselves to get excited. And then the pandemic happened. And so we were definitely just like, is this even going to materialize? Is this even going to work out? Thankfully, it did. And then after Julius Camillo, we wanted to give him a sibling and then another two. and and all of those, the approach was always, hey, don't tell anybody because now that we've had two before, after uh, Julius Camillo it was like, well, we don't want to sell we don't want to tell anybody anything else because we have a history already. But then that started to open my eyes to realizing what I don't have an outlet now. Yeah. Like I don't have anybody to talk to in the event that these two things that, you know, this miscarriage happened again, which it did another two times. So all that to say, now that we're on the other side of trying to have kids, because we're done. Yeah. Okay. than two. We're we're done. I have an appointment coming up to make sure that on my end, <laughs> right? Um, now that's opened my eyes to. All right, if this is what my experience was like, how many other men have gone through this experience and perhaps not spoken about it since it happened, if it happened some time ago? And so I reached out, I, I created an uh, an Instagram ad. I had it running for a while looking for dads who had gone through the unfortunate experience of a miscarriage and i thought i was going to get flooded with men which was the exact opposite i got like 3 or 4 people who reached out and was like hey yeah i'm willing to talk to you about that yeah and it was discouraging to me because i'm like wait i i know for a fact there has to be more guys that yeah. you know have gone through that but then i started to realize other things that even in the spaces that present themselves as being there to support the mom or, you know, the woman who's pregnant and the and the father who's responsible for this woman being pregnant, that dad, that man, his experience, his participation, his involvement, he's not included in the wider sense of support that is given to this woman. Right. And should that guy open his mouth like I did to, or, or I didn't even open my mouth. I shared this experience with you. And one of the DNCs that my wife went through, I went with her. And so we're sitting in this really small room. The doctor came in, dude, completely ignored my presence, my existence in the room, spoke to my wife, got her consent and walked out of the room and never said a word to me, like none whatsoever. So then I started thinking about that. If my wife had shown up by herself, what would have been some of the possible assumptions made about this woman who is going through this devastating thing and her partner is not there with her? Oh, maybe he's a deadbeat. Maybe that's baby dad. Maybe that's this, maybe that's that. But then I did show up and even showing up, I didn't get the benefit of the doubt that I was also experiencing the devastation of this. Yes. Of <sighs> right. So. Yeah. I, so, it's like, so this, that, that, that's what this is about, man.
0: It's just this cultural view and we have it of ourselves. I mean, probably cause we're born into it that. To, yeah. I'm a dad now, you know? Yeah. That's yeah, exciting. But, but it's, and that's exactly why you and I are doing what we're doing. Talking about this stuff is, the father's role is so important. And when we look yeah. at the statistics of like teen pregnancy and people in prison and uh, suicide rates and all the devastation, so much of it you can tie to a dad not being around. But we mm-hmm. ain't promoting, hey, dad, you're really important. We're not inviting him into his role. Uh When, when he comes in, I mean, even to the point where you're in there on a, you know, a sad situation and the doctor's not even going to acknowledge you. And it's probably because that nobody's, nobody has cared or very little care has been put towards that, that father, man. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I value that you are taking your experiences and sharing it with others and inviting them in. Um, although you only got three or four that first time, um, it shows, too, I think that men are not uncomfortable, but haven't been invited to say, hey, this this can feel like something and you yeah. can talk about it. Yeah. Um. All right, my friend, this podcast is Fatherhood Field Notes. You're already doing it, uh, opening up your life, your field notes and sharing it with us. The mantra behind it is rebel and create, mm-hmm. Um, and it could be applied to something small like I'm rebelling against... You know, uh, leaving for work at 5 a.m. so that I can create morning routine with my kids uh, to I'm rebelling against something, you know, um, you know, whatever fatherhood uh, in our culture so that I can create uh, an environment where people actually acknowledge the dad. When you hear rebel and create, what comes to mind? What's something that you are currently rebelling against and what do you hope to create out of that?
1: Yeah, I'll give you two things. The first one is something that is the near and dear to my experience. I'm rebelling against the notion that men are not supposed to express any emotions. Real men don't cry. This was something that my father said to me explicitly when I was about 10 years old and then for like the next decade, it was nearly impossible to get me to cry. I suppressed my feelings and emotions. Mm. And life has a way of softening someone who thinks that they can go through it without expressing anything. And so now I am as expressive as they come. (laughs) So I'm rebelling against that notion by creating a space here in my home with my sons, where we not only embrace the expression of emotions, but at least with my firstborn, we talk about how we feel at the end of every day. At the end of the day, for the past like month and a half, I've been asking him, Hey, how did you feel today? And there's this really good book that uh, I bought him. It's called uh, My First Book of Emotions for Toddlers. And I can't think of the name of the author right now, but I read that book to him one time. And he grasped the concept of sad, angry, frustrated, scared, disgusted, happy. And these are the words that he now uses when we have these conversations when I'm putting him to sleep. So that's what I'm rebelling against. That's what I'm creating. Part one. Part two.
0: Love it. Love it. Is
1: this sense of, you know, there is a sense in our culture and in our society that because I was dipped in chocolate a little bit too long, that I am incapable of being. An involved and caring father saying it more explicitly because i'm a black guy yeah i can't be a good father that i'm not involved that i'm somewhat incapable of being what my white white counterparts are able to be
0: yeah. and to
1: me that's such nonsense so my very existence my very role of a father is rebelling against that while simultaneously also creating An opportunity for people who hold that view to see how ridiculous they look. Yeah. And by instilling and modeling for my sons, should they become fathers one day, right? Should they choose to become fathers one day? Modeling for them that they don't have to subscribe to that ideology, that they can be themselves, that as men, as young men, as grown men, as black men. They're not starting behind the eight ball. They're starting on the same foot as everybody else because they saw Daddy do it.
0: Mm, it's beautiful, man. And it comes back to that that quote even from your work is I'm here, but not not I'm here like, hey, at least I'm here. It's like, yeah. no, I'm here. I'm like, here, like here. All of me is here. yes. and and the me that you're gonna have tomorrow and the next day, is it has grown from the day yesterday the day before and to me that's what here is all about right is like i'm here i'm learning i'm growing i'm present uh i'm not a know it all uh and and i i'm i'm here for you i'm here for me i'm here for mankind uh and i just love that it's about 85 years right you're not talking about this for like some movement for today you're talking about hey i'm going to be here for 90 years, a hundred years. And then this is going to matter 500 years from now. Absolutely. Ah, um, oh, dude. Okay. I love, I love what you're rebelling against. Uh, I love what you're creating. Um, man, we, we just have a little bit more time before I ask my last question, which is crazy that we're already here. Um, is there anything we didn't connect on anything that's kind of sitting inside you that needs to come out uh, before I ask my final question?
1: Um. Just to go back to the piece on, you know, men who have gone through the experiences that I've gone through. I've been sitting on this for a while. And then earlier this week, I decided to do something about it. So if you don't mind just giving me the opportunity to just like
0: Dude, do whatever you want promotion. Yeah, of course.
1: Um, I've gone ahead and created a Facebook community that I call an unfortunate community. Like right now as it Mm. stands is ideal in the sense that I'm the only one who is a member of this community right now as it stands. And in an ideal world, man, I would be totally okay with being the only member of this community. But knowing that we're not in an ideal world and that there are other guys who have gone through this, I've decided to create a space to invite other fathers who have gone through the unfortunate experience of of miscarriage and Mm -hmm. supporting a spouse a partner who miscarried and who have said at any point, man, I wish I had a place where I could be supported, where I can talk to someone who understands what I've been through or to just be in the presence, virtual or in person of someone who has gone through it and will understand and connect with me without even having to say a word. So I've created that community on facebook um it's called dads and miscarriage so Mm -hmm. all you got to do is just go to facebook and look it up and request to join that unfortunate community um i've placed you know these uh, series of videos that i've uh, put together talking about my experience and hopefully one thing that that comes across clearly for your audience is that i have no problem opening up and yep. exploring and just like, you know, diving deep into any type of conversation to help another father, another man, another person wrestle through the things that they're wrestling through.
0: Yeah, dude, that's beautiful. Yeah. Send me the link uh, or I'll put the link in the notes, the show notes as well. Um, Man, thank you for taking your story for your life and sharing it with the world to help other dads. I think it's really beautiful. Um, My last question is a legacy question. So imagine 35 years from now, your kid is going to be your age right now. And wild. He, it's wild, right? Like That is going to happen, right? Yeah. That's going to happen. So I think we get stuck in this idea that, you know, my kid's always going to live here. This is always what our life is going to look like. But when you see yourself, uh, say you're standing out on the street, peering into the home of your son at 30, you know, 35 years from now, what is it that you see um, that puts a big smile on your face, knowing that the way you showed up, the way that you were here led to the the man that you were seeing inside that home?
1: Yeah, um, I'll illustrate it in, in these two examples. Well, two examples in one. Like I said a little while ago, my father said to me, Real men don't cry. Mm. And that really impacted the way that I saw myself as a young man at the age of 10 into like my early 20s. It impacted my relationships. I mean, it impacted everything. Those words, real men don't cry. Um, And then the other thing is the way that our culture is currently built there is this phrase work-life balance that has become very troubling to me Mm. and that I think should be reversed to life-work balance. Mm. So 35 years from now, when I am watching Julius Camillo, who will be my same exact age, which is nuts, (laughs) (laughs) and watching my son Eden You know, who will be 35 years old. And God willing, they have children, boy, girl, doesn't matter. They have children. And I'm visiting. I would love to see, in terms of a legacy that will bring a smile to my face, that at no point my sons have allowed themselves to fall prey to the notion that money is more important than being there for their families and should my grandson fall and scrape his knee to actually see and hear my boys pick up their boy mm. and say hey it's okay for you to cry mm. i am so sorry to me listen <laughs> so good that, like Lord, take me now. Like, yeah. I, I, I'm okay because that would communicate to me that they not only heard what I said, yes, they accepted it. Yeah, they realize how valuable it is so much so that they want to pass it on to their kids.
0: Yeah. Oh, dude, that is beautiful. Beautiful. Oh, Kelly, thank you so much for the man that you are your pursuit of life, your pursuit of growth, your pursuit to to expand your capacity to love, not only your wife, not only your kids, but all those that God puts across your path. Uh, Thank you for the work you're doing in fatherhood. You're inspiring me. And uh, I look forward to staying connected to you and seeing all the great work that you do uh, in this world. Uh, And I love that first and foremost, you know that that starts in your home. So Keep doing what you're doing, bro. It's it's a it's a pleasure to to know you as a man,
1: man. Ned, thank you so much. Um, thank you for for doing that TED talk that led me to connecting to you, and thank you for all the work that you're continuing to do through your platform and through your books and other endeavors that you're getting into. Um, all the best to you, man. I, I know that you're a conduit of God's blessing from heaven to those of us here on earth. So blessings to you. And thank mm-hmm. you, Mark.
0: Thanks bro. Until next time. Until next time. What an incredible conversation. I truly love the quote, I'm here. And if we could do that as fathers, if that's a quote that we could truly say from the depth of our being, our soul, our heart, I am here. And that our family, our spouse, our children feel that they feel that. My dad is here 100% all in. Are you all in? If not, what roadblocks do you need to get out of the way? Don't let guilt, shame fill you. Don't be paralyzed. Be there for your family. My friends, to end this, you are already making massive change to your legacy and family tree by investing in yourself as a father. As you know, many men stumble into their role as a father. Our society is in desperate need of fathers who know who they are and are engaged in their home. I created the Adventure of Fatherhood children's book and gift box as an opportunity for you to be part of another man's adventure. Please help me spread the word that fatherhood matters. I worked hard to create a gift that would really help a new dad see who he is and connect him with his kiddo. You can go to adventureoffatherhood.com and order the kid's book and make your own gift, or I've done the legwork. You can go order a gift box, uh, have a specialized note put in welcoming your friend into fatherhood, uh, and we'll ship it for you. Or if you just want the book, go to Amazon. Uh, if you do that, please write a review. It helps spread the word that fatherhood matters. Don't let men stumble into fatherhood. Invite them in. Thank you to all you dads out there listening to Rebellion Creates Fatherhood Field Notes podcast, What You Do Matters. Don't be like everybody else. Be yourself. That is who your kids, spouse, and community needs. This is your guide, Ned Shout. Together, let's rebel against the view that fatherhood has little impact and create lives engaged in mastering the craft of fatherhood. I look forward to hanging out with you next time.